Welcome to A Drink with a Friend. I am Seth Haynes. And I'm Tish Oxenreiter. Oh, Tish. Yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm, uh, I'm drinking crappy hotel coffee. You know why I'm drinking crappy hotel coffee? Why is that, Seth? Because I'm in a crappy hotel, man. Right, right. Hints your sound. It's... It, <laughs> It hints my sound. So yeah, today's uh, episode is brought to you uh, by the letter I for iPod, I AirPod A for AirPods. Sorry, sorry. I'll get that right one day. Yeah. Um, and by crappy hotel coffee on my end. So what are you drinking today? I'm drinking better, uh, not hotel coffee. I'm drinking um, Blue Blazes from Summer Moon in Austin, Texas, and it's lovely. So. Sorry. Summer Moon, where's that located? There's a number of them. Uh, the original was somewhere central Austin where it's super cool. And now they have them mm. all over. So it's a it's a local chain, you know, if that makes sense. There's about mm. 10 of them and you can find them in like strip centers now. But they're still really good. Yeah. And I like them. Yeah. So, yeah. It's kind of like uh, Stumptown in Portland. Same idea. Exact same idea. Yeah. So. Yeah. Or Onyx and is kind of becoming that way in my neck of the woods. There you go. Yeah. Same idea. Uh, so whatever. Okay. So is it good? Is it good coffee? It's very good coffee. I really like it. It's one of my favorites. It's uh, maybe in my top five of the local ones, local places. So yeah. Kyle brought it home and I'm glad I would, he did. I, That feels like something we should talk about. What are your top five favorite coffee places in Austin? <laughs> that could be good um, and right. for the five people who care about something like that. The rest of the listeners would well, I mean, maybe. Maybe they would just be excited to know a little bit more about Austin. Maybe so. Maybe so. I don't know. Yeah. Well, either mm. way, you're doing worky, lawyery things. And so you've been busy. And last week, we were not talking. I was joined by Jory Clarkson, and we had a lovely conversation. But it's good to be chatting with you. And I am curious what has been on your mind. So what's on your mind? Well, it would, you know, we were sort of chatting about this a little bit offline this morning, and it would feel a little bit tone deaf if we didn't uh, discuss kind of world events right now, yeah. right? Like that's, and I, it, more than just tone deaf, on top of that, it's just the thing that I think we're all thinking about. Yeah, we actually care. Right? Yeah. So I'd love to hear from you, like, where, where were you when you sort of uh, figured out or when it dawned on you that the world was sort of on the brink of, of war. Like everybody else, I kept hearing hints of it for weeks, right? Maybe months. And so you just kind of wait for the inevitable uh, other foot to fall. And so I believe I was in bed and Kyle told me Putin invaded Ukraine um, as I was waking up. And so we were then glued to the news for the next few hours slash rest of the day and kind of has been on the forefront of my mind as I've been going about my teaching, writing, regular life doing, like I'm sure most people. How about you? Well, I was uh, in a hotel room in Denver because I, <laughs> that's where you I live now. That's, <laughs> that's where I live. Yeah, I actually have a lovely uh, home, new home parish that's just a block from this hotel. Um, and I actually spent some time there in prayer, uh, after I heard the news, but yeah, I was in, I was in, uh, my hotel room and it was just the most surreal thing watching it because this was supposed to be the thing that we all remembered would never happen again. You know, like never again, we will never let this happen again. Um, and of course, you know, 
that's the world's uh, mantra, sort of, um, but particularly in Europe. And so it was really disconcerting to, to me to see sort of the the block bully um, moving in on uh, another country. And I, I think what really shocked me about it was the, the speech uh, that Putin gave before he invaded and how he sort of likened the Ukrainians to drug using Nazis and he sort of really cast the invasion in terms of, of almost colonial idealism, Mm -hmm. you know, going back and and sort of recapturing all the lands that were previously owned by, you know, Russian people. And, um, and the whole thing was just really disconcerting and it felt really unhinged. And I think that was the moment when I was like, Oh, this is really concerning Mm -hmm. and, and kind of scary. Yeah. You know, I am no expert in the slightest, and uh, someone please correct me if I'm wrong, but um, having spent a tiny morsel of time in Russia and then slightly larger slice of time in Eastern Europe in general and lived there for a bit in the Balkans, I know one thing that this part of the world holds in common that a lot of places do, but especially this area is... um, they hold on to long time grievances. So Mm. when we were living, when I was living in Kosovo, this was, gosh, a year after Milosevic came in, or maybe Mm. just a few months after NATO came in and blocked him. And what was interesting is we would hear from people talking about the Serbians or, or Albanians or whatever it is about the 700 ADs, like really, and they would talk about their grievances. And it was interesting to me to think, you know, it felt very Hatfield's McCoy's. Um, Mm. It, it made me realize how much as an American, I do not understand this worldview or understand the history that goes back so far and has been ingrained in so many um, cultures like this. So I'm not at all here to say it's just like that right now. But there is something to be said about what I understand to be Putin's worldview related to all this that um, I've heard a few experts talk about, like he is channeling not just um, energy from the late 80s, early 90s fall of um, the Berlin Wall. He is channeling like Catherine the Great energy here. <laughs> And that's what he's thinking about when he thinks about Russia, like restoring Russia's glory. And I just find that fascinating. Yeah, it's fascinating. It's also terrifying, right? Because uh, when you think through the conversations about, you know, Catherine the Great and restoring the mother Russian glory, I mean, as Amber put it last night, it's one thing to have that conversation in light of, you know, tanks and you know whatever tanks and machine guns it's another when you put it in terms of nuclear arsenal yeah um it's just a terrifying uh situation but one of the things that i really wanted to talk to you about because i knew you had spent some time in um in areas that were you know part of uh the the old ussr Mm -hmm. i know you spent some time in russia Mm -hmm. i think there's a real um tendency to want to vilify, you know, everyone that is in uh, Russia and to sort of lionize all of the the, the Eastern European countries. Right. And Eastern, I mean, like, listen, Zelensky has emerged as this amazing hero he, for yeah. our age, right? Yeah. Um, and, he, and, he, and he is. For good and reason, I, you know, right. I, I do, 
yeah, for good reason. He needs to be lionized. But, but I think that too, as I watch the sanctions take hold in, uh, in Russia and I watch the, the people, um, it's really sad. Mm-hmm. I mean, to not be able to get uh, food yeah. and money out of the, the bank and, and to not, you know, know whether you're going to have normal commerce. Like these are the effects of war that we need to be thinking through and, yeah. and praying through. And, yeah. and, you know, I'll, I'll definitely show my political cards. Like I think the sanctions are right and probably the harder, the better. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a really hard thing to say, right? Because those have really real effects on really real people. Well, and what's hardest, and of course, I don't want to get into too many political takes just because I'm still learning. So I don't want to come across like an expert. But in terms of sanctions, it also seems to be that uh, Putin being a type of dictator and despot that doesn't seem to care that much about his people. Um, it does stink that a lot of these sanctions are going to hurt the moms and dads and small businesses yeah. of Russia so much more than perhaps where it needs to hurt, you know? Um, and so that's the thing that I think I keep thinking about. We have in our school, um, a few families that we actually have some families that are Russian immigrants and we have um, mm. some students who are of Russian descent. They were either adopted or that's mm-hmm. in their lineage. And so we, as a staff, we, we made it a point at the beginning of the week to make it very clear to the students talking about Russians in mass as though they are one group and as though they think one particular way or that this is about the Russians versus Ukrainians will not be tolerated. We need to, of course, let's talk. Let's talk about hard things. Let's, let's learn. But, you know, especially among kids who tend to still see, see things black and white. Let's make sure yeah. and remember that these are families who run to the grocery store and are teachers and, and bankers, and they care about their kids just like us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, they're not monolithic. It's not. It's not um, a monolithic uh, sort of look at human existence. You are Russian, ergo you are X or Y. Right. Um, one of my kids goes to school with a kid whose uh, parents were Russian immigrants, and you know, he's talking about this through the lens of a normal, you know, fifteen, sixteen-year-old kid, and just saying like, "I love my country," but. Uh, my, you know, my parents' country, but by the same token, like, you know, think about um, how difficult it is to be Russia, Russian here. Yeah. And he even made some comment about, you know, if, if, you know, if he ever wanted to go, you know, join the war effort uh, for America one day, uh, if it came to that, you know, that he would be sort of a second tier, mm-hmm. um, you know, second tier soldier because of his lineage, which just harkened back to like the idea of second tier soldiers in world war two with the Japanese and the internment of the Japanese. I mean, it's just like, we can't seem to learn the lessons of history. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, it's helpful for those of us who are parents or those of us who are maybe more of our age to remember that there's a whole lot of Americans right now who were literally not alive during some of the conflicts that we remember. I overheard somebody say something about how like, this is the first like modern, war from one big country against a smaller country that they know of, like in their lifetime that they remember. And I remember I I first thought like, no, that's not right. I mean, think about all these other ones. But then as he got to talking and he was talking about their smaller conflicts here and there, yes, or in-house conflicts, but in terms of a big bully country intentionally picking on the smaller one 
in hopes of instigating something larger. This is his first experience learn, you know, hearing about it. And that's helpful to remember that. Yeah. History repeats itself, but some, we just forget so easily because it becomes history. It becomes like facts in a history book instead of real people involved here. Yeah, that's right. So let me ask you this. How are you talking to your kids about this moment in history? Um, Lightly and openly. So meaning I am not shying away from the news. Uh, It might help to say that my kids are age 11 through 17. So they skew a little bit on the older side, yet still young. Yeah. Um, If they were little, I don't know if I would have the news on in front of them, but they're old enough to to care and know, and we can talk practically. So I listen to the news on the way to school and we talk about it. We um, talk about the conflict uh, centering Putin, to be honest, and maybe that's wrong. I don't know. But I really, you know, per what I was saying earlier that they have, they know of kids that are of Russian descent. I really want to make sure they understand that this is not Russians versus Ukrainians. And um, we talk about Zelensky and have talked about um, his he- heroism and what makes him a good leader right now. Um, not perfect, but a good leader. We also talk about, um, this is a good time to talk about where we get our information. You know, where do we get our news? Because there is such a thing as wartime propaganda. It's always been used, you know, even the quote, mm-hmm. good guys use it. When is it mm-hmm. effective? When is it not? But what's actually propaganda? So we've been talking about that, but really lighthandedly. I don't want this to become just like a nonstop history lesson where um, as soon as my kids hear the news or as soon as something comes up, they think, oh, no, here we go, another lesson. I want them to think of it as as a real thing that's happening to real people that they know of. So we're going to just integrate it into our lives. So we talked about over the dinner table a little bit. We talked about it on the way to school, on the way home from school, um, just here and there as it comes up. How about you guys? Yeah, I think we're we're taking a sort of similar approach. I mean, I think Amber is a little bit more cognizant of not wanting to, you know, make it you know, every day of war day, um, which I think is important, yeah. but also, uh, we, you know, we're, we're taking as an opportunity to, um, get on Netflix to watch some old world war two documentaries. Yes. Um, and the, like there's one world war two in color. It's phenomenal. Mm. Um, and, and it's just kind of an overview of world war two. And I think it's really important, mm-hmm. not because I think we're necessarily headed to a world war, but this is the kind of stuff that makes, you know, yeah. global crises. No. And so yeah. I just think it's important for us to understand. And, and and when the boys talk about, like, why is everybody so, you know, aggressive um, and being so dramatic about this invasion, we can say, well, look, let's look back at history and see why. Yeah. Because this is what tyrants do if they're left unchecked. That's a great point. I think um, I hadn't connected the dots, but gosh, a week ago, we started watching uh, Ken Burns' documentary just called The War. Uh, we got a mm-hmm. PBS subscription and a phenomenal series. I mean, it's just mind blowing the amount of footage he got. And it's in the similar vibe, you know, I mean, I'm kind of a history nerd anyway. So we tend to talk about history as a family, just just as a topic of common interest, but to zero in on World War II is a great idea. I hadn't made that connection. Yeah. 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 And it's really interesting when you, when you, when you look at it and you just start saying like, okay, how, how did this all come about? And, and, and the truth is, man, it came about because of a tyrant, Yeah, uh, because of a tyrant who wanted to restore 
the glory of an empire. Right. And, and that's the very thing that, that we're watching again. And, and it's, you know, it's one of those things that's worth pointing out because if, if, if we have to continue to do things like levy sanctions on other humans, then I want my kids to understand why, you know, this is why we have to do this because this is what stops later and worse atrocities. You know, I hadn't connected the dots to this either, but I don't know, a couple of months ago, I asked my students, you know, who are 11th and 12th graders? So the older teenagers, um, who among them had great grandparents in World War II? And only, I think, like one or two students even knew. Like most of them were like, Mm. I don't know. And I found that really interesting because, I don't know, my kids know for sure that mine and Kyle's grandpas were in the war. Um, so I just assumed it was something that parents talked about, but the fact that like, oh, maybe this isn't a topic that comes up very much, just history, um, not repeating itself, although that's part of it, but just, um, that freedom isn't the default or that, yeah, yeah, that freedom isn't the default and that it, it has been fought for tirelessly and with cost, I think is something that has to come up again and again, or else we'll see our future generations take it for granted and, we will see history repeat itself as we might start doing sooner than we like. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's, that's true. Mm. That's true. And that's a good point. I think reminding um, our children of history, reminding ourselves of history is it's, it's critical. It's Mm. critical right now in particular. Um, Yeah. So I'm curious, you know, as you go about your day, you know, you're on business trips, you are lawyering, whatever you call that. I'm teaching, I'm writing a book. I'm, making dinner and planting a garden. How do you reconcile being an everyday ordinary person in a safe environment, caring about big, huge world events um, in a way that feels healthy and productive? Have you solved that dilemma? Well, I mean, that's a great question. Uh, The productive part is the hard part. I I do think there's a piece of it that it's, it's sort of easy to... I'm not easy. I can navigate this health in health without a whole lot of fear um, for whatever reason, simply because maybe I'm just, that's just my chemical makeup. I, I don't know. Um, so I don't have really any tips on that. The productivity part is the hard part because I do want to know what's going on, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, uh, and this goes back to our, all the conversations we used to have about Enneagram types. <laughs> um my fiveness really does seem to get into the, get in the way um, of, of the productivity part because the data points are just changing by the hour. Um, Even when they don't, they feel like they are. Um, And 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 learning can feel like doing something. (laughs) Yeah. And learning does feel like doing something. In fact, learning is something. It is. um, As we'll, as we'll talk about when, when we talk about what, what's good and and true and beautiful Mm. in our lives right now. So I think learning is something it's really important, but also there's a, there's an everydayness that you, you, you know, being free uh, imagines that we're able to work and play and love each other and do what we want to do and go to church. And, you know, this is Ash Wednesday's recording, go to church and get ashes, you know, do the, do the things that make our lives meaningful and fulfilled and rich and to let a tyrant on the other side of the world uh, steal my attention is allowing him to steal my freedom also. Mm -hmm. And so there's a piece of it that's just very important to me to remember, um, you know, 
hey, th- there's there's a freedom that I'm fighting for. And part of that freedom is tending to the good stuff of my ordinary and everyday life. Yeah. You know? Yeah. hundred um, percent. I am currently reading excerpts of C.S. Lewis. And I, this morning I read this bit that I thought was so spot on to this topic. Um, he wrote in The Weight of Glory, which was written, he wrote it during World War II. In fact, I want to say this was a, a compendium of his radio talks now that I think of it. But anyway, there's a chapter called Learning in Wartime. So for him, this is World War II. And he is, mm. the section is actually called On Being Concerned About More Than the Salvation of Souls. And so mm. he is comparing this idea of a Christian who seems to go about life so uber focused on saving their neighbors, um, similar to those, I, I guess at the time, because it feels that way now too, who are so focused on the war that they feel like to think about, to think about anything else is unpatriotic or to care yeah. about other things or to care about just everyday life is, is not caring about the war at all. And he says, yeah. and he says, uh, before I became a Christian, I do not think I fully realized that one's life after conversion would inevitably consist in doing most of the same things one had been doing before one hopes in a new spirit, mm-hmm. but still the same things before I went to the last war. So he means world war one, since he was there, Mm-hmm. Um, I certainly expected that my life in the trenches would, in some mysterious sense, be all war. In fact, I found that the nearer you got to the front line, the less everyone spoke and thought of the Allied cause and the progress of the campaign. And I am pleased to find that Tolstoy, in the greatest war book ever written, records the same thing. And then he says, neither conversion nor enlistment in the army is really going to obliterate our human life. And then he goes on to say, like a few uh, paragraphs later, he says, um, if uh, where is it? Oh, the, we may have a duty to rescue a drowning man. And perhaps if we live on a dangerous coast to learn life saving so as to be ready for any drowning man when he turns up, uh, it may be our duty to lose our own lives and saving him. But if anyone devoted himself to life saving in the sense of giving it its his total attention so that he thought and spoke of nothing else and demanded the cessation of all other human activities until everyone had learned to swim, he would be a monomaniac. The rescue of drowning men is then a duty worth dying for, but not worth living for. And then he goes mm. on to to make the connection between um, the Christian life and caring about the salvation of souls. Um, and I think his point is so spot on that what he, what he's saying is it's enough to want to be willing to be patriotic enough to die for someone else, but it's not worth living for. It's not the case. It's not the topic that we should dedicate our lives to above all else. And I thought that was a really good reminder when it comes to things like this, like big atrocities, um, big, I mean, we see it all the time, right? When it comes to protests or, or riots or very sad situations, if we completely dedicate our whole, you know, definition of who we are as a good neighbor and as a good human to caring about those things then we become monomaniacs. It's not worth living for, but they are worth dying for. And I thought that was such a great way to put it. Yeah, that is a very good way to put it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a little bit of what I'm, what I'm sensing right now um, is that I think that, that is as, as terrifying as this is uh, to us as adults and also particularly to our kids um, who've never been through this and who don't understand. And, you know, especially if you have younger ones, um, you know, as terrible as it is, as terrifying as it is, 
there's still a lot of really good stuff worth living for. Mm -hmm. There's still a lot of, of beauty in the world. There's still a lot of truth in the world. There's still a lot to learn. Well, and yeah, go ahead. and I think we have to take that seriously. Mm -hmm. And what uh, Joy Clarkson talked about in last week's episode, I think a spot on here, that to pursue happiness or to pursue joy when everything is terrible is actually an act of um, kind of warfare almost. Um, to deny the good things in your life is in some ways to give in to the despots who say yeah. uh, your, li your life as it is right now is – is not worth what you think it is to pursue the good things, to remember the good, um, you know, the small beauties in life to live our ordinary lives is to say, no, I think you're wrong. This is what life is about. This, this is the stuff that matters. And I care deeply that you are causing other people to not enjoy these, these same daily ordinary things that they should be able to enjoy freely. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. She was, she was very well versed in, in that topic and I thought it was a good lesson for me. So yeah. Well, yeah, I love it. I love it. And maybe, you know, maybe as the days go on, as we, you know, inevitably get deeper into this, maybe there are other things worth exploring. Maybe there are other ideas worth exploring. Um, uh, you know, I, th I think that there are some really hard questions to be asked about things like what is a just war? What is an unjust war? Mm -hmm. uh, what do, do things, what do philosophers say about it? What do, what does the catechism say about it? What do other religious thinkers say about it? Um, is there such thing as a just war? Right. Um, I think those are great questions to ask, but I think, and they're questions that I am asking mm -hmm. currently. Um, but, but ultimately I think, the the question that needs to be asked over and over again is what are we living for and what are we fighting to preserve in our own lives, even if we're not actually on the front lines with the Ukrainians, mm -hmm. right? Even if we're, we're somewhere else in another part of the world and we don't have bullets and bombs flying over our heads and we don't exactly know, you know, what's going on. What, what are we fighting for yeah. uh, in our own lives? And what, what is worth saying like freedom means this mm -hmm. and that's what I'm going to live for and die for and fight for. Yeah. Um, even if it's a metaphorical fight, yeah, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, what can we echo Zelensky in saying, I don't need a ride, I need ammunition, you know? That's um, right. Yeah, what absolutely. And I was actually going to ask you, um, I'm curious what Kyle thinks too, you know, the, the Ukraine government basically had the rule of like, get the women and children out. If you are, I want to say like 18 to 60, a, a man, 18 yeah. to 60, you are not allowed to leave, you have to stay. How would you feel as yeah. a 40 something year old dad of four? sending your family off and having to stay put? What, how would you feel? Yeah. I mean, I, I told my kids, like if it were, if, if it were my country, right. If I was in, I'm in Arkansas, if uh, New York were attacked and they told me I couldn't leave and get out of the country, I would say like, wait, leave. I, I don't want to leave. Mm. I'm getting in my car and heading to New York. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, so, and, and that's not machismo and it's not, it was just like, it finally put me in the place of having to ask the question of like, what do I think about this? What would I do? Yeah. Um, and I was very happy to hear some of my sons say, you know, the same things. Mm. And, 
Um, so I, I think there's a piece of it that's like, even when I look at, at the majority of the people who are, again, coming out on the, on the interviews, who knows, maybe that some of that's propaganda too, right? I don't know. Yeah. But as I l- listen to the men who are, you know, going off and, and getting ready to, fi- to to drop their kids off at the border with their wife and go back to the fight, and they're saying like, we, we don't want out. We want to go back to the front lines. Right. And the thing that's been really encouraging and amazing to me has been to see a lot of the women saying the same thing. Right. We don't want out. We're not leaving. Teach me how to fire a, a rifle yeah. because this is my home. Yeah. And and I'm not giving up my home. Right. Um and and so there's this beauty of like uh, ferocity in the Ukrainian people that says my you know my home is worth fighting for, freedom is worth fighting for. Um even if it it means losing everything, it's worth fighting for. Mhm. Um, and, and there's something to be learned there, I think, yeah. man or woman. Yeah, man or woman. And I think those women and children who have, you know, fled to Poland or whatever, I think of the same um, situation World War II where the women held down the home front and played their part as well. Yeah. So I think those women, um, you know, be it because they have tiny little babies that they need to take care of or whatnot, um, need uh, – praise as well because absolutely and i think there's some there's a life lesson there too right these small things that we do matter and that's that's the takeaway i think in our lives here is like what are you willing to fight for what are you willing to preserve what are you willing to protect yeah so yeah yeah for sure yeah well and not to get all dark i mean that's (laughs) that is the question i i don't want to leave the i don't want to leave all of uh, you know the people listening and leave you <laughs> in a place of like oh this was such a heavy con- it is a heavy conversation because the world is heavy sometimes right but just sitting down with a piece of paper and writing down like these are the non-negotiables these are the things i'll fight for um in my life i think that's really really worth doing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah no i agree i think it's a great idea great it also so, provides some practical thing to do you know anyway yeah that's true and so speaking of what's worth fighting for yeah tish i know you fight for things that are beautiful and good and true. Um, and so why don't you tell me what is a thing that you are currently fighting for? What's a thing that's, that's bringing some goodness or truth or beauty to your life? Well, thankfully I had to, I had about three things to choose from because there's been some good things in, in life right now. So I think I'm going to spread them out over the next couple chats. Um, so with yeah. that in mind, that in mind, I'm going to just bring up, the thing that I have been playing today on repeat because it is Ash Wednesday, and that is the playlist that accompanies my book, Bitter and Sweet. So yes, shameless plug, but I'm being 100% honest and saying that this is what I played this morning while we were getting ready for school, and this is what I've just had on in the background all day. So um, I'm a big believer in God making us sensory people, like sensory-driven people, and um, so that's why I wanted to add music. And yeah, I don't know. I, I love the music that people have created. And there's some really good Lentish music. So um, yeah, my playlist, which I'll put in the show notes. Yes, mm-hmm. I love a good playlist. It's like uh, playlists these days are like old school mixtapes. Exactly. I, I love making them. So it was, it was great fun. So yeah, and who doesn't love a good mixtape? That's right. That's right. Okay. How about you? What is adding more goodness and beauty and truth to your life right now? Well, I am currently reading uh, Seneca's On the Shortness of Life. Um, it's, it's a, That's actually an essay in an old Penguin 
collection of books. I think it's from the Great Ideas series. Hmm. Um, but there's a quote that I want to read. Okay. It says, of all people, only those are at leisure who make time for philosophy. Only those are really alive. For they not only keep a good watch over their lifetimes, but they annex every age to theirs. All the years that have passed before them are added to their own. Hmm. And I think that is really important in light of the conversation that we just had. This is why I love the old philosophers yeah, because they give you the words uh, and the wisdom uh, that'll kind of, kind of guide you through tough seasons. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, go back, understand history, understand the philosophers, understand the way things unfolded once before, because they will happen again. And by understanding their wisdom, you can, you can apply it and annex it as his words uh, to your own life. And, and I, I think, think that's really important. And I think that's a really great um, reading for, Lent and Ash Wednesday. So um, yes, absolutely. We've tied those connections. Um, have you ever read Joseph Peeper's uh, Leisure, the Basis of Culture? I know I mailed it to you in Amber, so no pressure, but it reminds me of that. No, as well. it, but it, but it is on my bookshelf. Okay. That's the thing. That counts. That counts. Um, oh. I'm just thinking if you liked that, you would probably like Peeper as well. So um, good connection yeah. there. Yeah, I like yeah. It. Cool. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, it is time to wrap up this chat. You can find this episode and all episodes at adrinkwithafriend.com. If you like the show and what we're doing here, as always, you can help keep it going by picking up the next round of drinks. You can find the link to do this in the show notes of this episode or at adrinkwithafriend.com. And thank you so much, as always, in advance for those of you who have already done so. You can find me and how to connect with me at tishoxenrider.com. Seth, how about you? They can find me at uh, sethhaines.substack.com. So just go to my Substack. Cool. All right. Music for the show is by Kevin McLeod. Editing is by Kyle Oxenreiter. I'm Tish Oxenreiter. And Seth and I will be back here at the table with you soon. Thanks for listening.